This morning we're continuing on our series of the churches in Revelation and how they apply to us in our own lives. And this morning we're talking about the church in Philadelphia. For my illustration, I wonder this morning how many of you are cat owners. Perhaps I should use the word cat-owned, not owners. With our cat, you will be in the house and she will go over by the door to go outside. She will scratch at the door and, and meow. Meow. Raise her paw, scratch at the door. Meow. She wants out. Or does she? Because I will go over to the door, I will open the door, and she'll just sit there. She won't go outside. she just sit there. And, of course, my question is, do you want to go outside? Usually it helps if I take my foot and kind of nudge and, and, and push her out, and she goes out. But it seems like I turn around, and within two, three seconds, she's scratching at the door, meowing outside. She wants back in. There's a song by... Garrison Keeler from Prairie Home Companion that talks about the cat. And the first verse says the cat wants to go outside. And the second verse says the cat wants to go inside. And the next verse, I want to go back outside. And then they want to come in. So the tongue just goes back and back and forth. The cat goes outside, it wants to come in. It's inside, it wants to go out. The cat owned, or cat owners if you prefer, know this situation very well. The cat cannot reach the door does not have the ability to open or close the door. The cat must trust and have faith that the owner has the keys and can unlock and open the door. With that in mind, I invite you to look at the Church of Philadelphia, which was read to us this morning, starting in chapter 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the Church of Philadelphia write, These things say, He who is holy he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. When we look at this church, it is easy to see that he who is holy and true, of course, is talking about Jesus. And he who owns these keys, when we look at these keys, what is it talking about? These doors that are barred that we cannot ourselves get through, or doors that are open that are not allowed to be shut. We are told in verse 7, for a man has come who holds the keys of David. A man who holds the master key. As we study what he has done with these keys, we learn from verse 8. He has given them access to the door, which we didn't have access to before. We identify this man as Jesus Christ, and we identify these doors as the doors to hell and the grave. Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice, has gained the keys and has opened the grave. We need not fear the grave. 
Jesus holds the privilege of the master key. We find this answer in the first chapter of Revelation. In verse 18 it says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of Hades and death. Here the Bible is saying what Jesus holds, the keys of hell, of hell and death. In other words, because of him, because of his death, we no longer have to fear the grave. Jesus has that control. We also see this being talked about in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Inasmuch as the children have partaken of the flesh and blood, he himself likewise shares in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and release those who fear of death and were fearing of death all of their life. Jesus has wrestled those keys on our behalf out of the hands of Satan, so no longer can Satan control death. Then through his resurrection, Jesus takes care of, takes control of the grave. It is Jesus who now controls death. It is Jesus who controls the grave. And we can praise God this morning that he has taken control. And we no longer need to fear. Do you have this assurance this morning? Do you no longer fear death? Are you afraid to die? Do you know what would await for you this moment if death were to come? Friends, you no longer need to fear death because it has been taken care of. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50, starting at verse 51, we read these words. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of the eye. At the last trump, for the trump will sound and the dead will raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this incorruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of, de of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise God, Jesus has gotten the victory. It is he who now holds the keys of death and the grave. If there's ever been a door that I want to go through, it's that door of everlasting life. More than any other door I have ever wanted to go through, it is the doorway that leads to eternity that I want to be ready to walk into. How about you? Are you ready to go in? Or are you the cat that sits there on the threshold, not going in? Jesus says something important about how to make sure we get in through the door. And turning back to our main passage, in Revelation 3 we read again, I know your works. I see I have set before you an open door 
and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. Now before we go on, we need to clear up some possible confusion. There can be confusion from time to time as how we get through the door to eternity. The first fact we need to remember is that only the only reason we have access to this door is because of Jesus Christ. The only reason we have any claim on eternity is because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Because of our sin, because of our rebellion against God, the door of heaven is actually closed to us. It took Jesus coming down to this earth and dying for that door to be opened again. Make no mistake about it, we cannot open the door. There is nothing we could do to get in through that door. Fact number two is that we have to walk through that door. It's not enough for Jesus to have opened the door. The Bible says that Jesus' sacrifice was to save the whole world, but it also says that not everyone will be saved. Why? Because even though Jesus did everything possible to open the door of salvation, there will still be many who sit like the cat and don't cross the threshold. There is just a small difference to actually take that step which will put them inside the door. The difference between saved and lost may only be a threshold wide. The Philadelphian church is said to have just a little strength, but they still made it in. How is this possible? How is it they had so little, but still made it in? I would propose to you this morning that to make it in, it's not about how much you have, but what you do with it. You know, I hear statements from people all the time. If only I had a little more faith. Or if only I could believe more, then it would be easy for me. As believers, we get hung up on what we don't have. And we believe that because we don't have enough, we cannot make it. But as I read the Word of God on this matter, it comes clear to me that how much we have has nothing to do with what we have. In fact, it is what God has. Even if we had faith by truckloads and still are on the outside and don't ask Jesus to come in so that we can cross that threshold, we will not make it. Let's look at the illustration that we find in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. Here we encounter a remarkable story. There is a lot of people sitting there, 5,000 men plus women, children. It's a huge congregation of people listening to Jesus' words. And we see him there on the edge of the Sea of Galilee, then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he had performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and he sat with his disciples. And he lifted himself up to that great throng and he was talking with them all day. And he turned to his disciple Philip and he said, Where shall we buy bread that everyone here 
may eat. Now, we read from the text that he said this to test his disciples, for he himself knew what he would do. But of course, the disciple, not understanding this, said, even if we had 200 denarii, we couldn't feed all these people. There is not enough that we could buy. There's a couple of things that we discover right away as we're reading this story with Jesus feeding the 5,000. First off, that Jesus turns to his disciples and says, first, how can we feed these people? And second, that Jesus already knew what would be the answer. When Jesus asked, where can we buy enough to feed them? He didn't ask that. It says here, he bought, where can we buy food for them to eat? But we're told in verse 6 that Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But the disciples interpreted his question to mean he was expecting a large quantity of food. So we continue on as we read through this story and we see that one of the disciples, Andrew, came up and said, there's a lad here who has five loaves and two small fishes. Isn't it interesting to me, I would think as these people went out there for the day, this cannot be the only person that had food out there. Other people had to bring food, but they didn't offer it. It was a small boy who said, well, I've got some food I can share. Why weren't other people there? Seems to me there were probably a couple of organized family who brought a couple of casseroles for the potluck, right? Did they offer them? But we see Jesus preaching all day. They are hungry. We know these five loaves and two small fishes won't feed everyone. But this boy was willing to give it. It is here that we find the answer to the question of faith. Is it a matter of how much we have? Is it a matter of how much we believe in something that will make a difference? No, not at all. What matters is God is not how much we have, but are we willing to do with what we have? I believe that there were others in the crowd that had more to offer. But this boy said, by faith, I have what I need. I now offer it to you, Jesus. Take my faith. Make it work. By taking this faith of this small boy and taking this offering that was made, Jesus fed 5,000. He made this boy's faith large enough. It fit what was needed. It's not how much you have. It's in what you do with what you have. You may be facing obstacles in your life. Some great challenge that is weighing you down and you don't think you're going to make it. Well, you may not feel like you're going to make it. But you don't even dare to think for a moment that it's because you don't have enough faith. What's going to make the difference is taking the little faith that you have, putting it with the strength of Jesus, 
and crossing that threshold. Bringing Jesus into your life will bring that step forward so that you will be in, not out. Don't go around saying, what happened? What will happen if I don't get enough faith? Don't go around saying, it's not because I don't believe enough. Don't believe the lie that somehow having more will make the difference in your life. Instead, take the faith that you have. Put it in the hands of Jesus. And when you do that, watch what he does in your life. To him who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches.